Good morning. It's always good to be back visiting in Danville and see all the old familiar faces that uh, I know. And no harm to you, but it's even better to see the new faces. Those who I'm not familiar with, and the reason that's so much better is because it reminds me that God is continuing to multiply his kingdom. Not only here in Southeast Iowa and in Danville's three campuses, but throughout the world, wherever his gospel is being preached. And how do we know his gospel, his good news, is because we have his word, the Bible. So why don't you take it, go ahead, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can find that on page 767 in the auditorium Bibles, which should be in front of you. All right, so this passage we're going to be looking at today is the same passage that Pastor Chris actually spoke on last week. And he, ta- he, he did a great job of unpacking what it means to walk in light and wisdom uh, it, it, and being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to read the same passage again, uh, particularly focusing in on the first two verses, which he actually spoke about last week. But we're going to be, take a di- different approach, uh, making the best use of your time. We're going to look at some Old Testament examples of, of how they put it into practice practically. And maybe we can talk about or think about how we can use that practically in our lives, how we can use the best use of our time. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, follow along as I read. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray and then we'll dig into this. Our loving Heavenly Father, we, we see here that uh, we need to be making the best use of our time. And I know each one of us here are guilty of probably not doing that. So, Lord, I just pray that as we dig into this, as we look at some Old Testament characters, and, and one in particular of how he used his whole life to use the best use of the time that you had given him, that we would learn from these lessons today, that we would be able to put it into practice in a practical way to serve you better. Just help us to understand this from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, looking back at verses 15 and 16 again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So growing up, I'm sure most of you heard all the stories, all the fables, Aesop's fables in particular, and I'm sure if you have, you're most familiar with, you're all familiar with the one of the grasshopper and the ants, right? But if you're not, it goes like this. One bright day in late, late autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out grain they had stored up during the summer, when a starving grasshopper, his fiddler, fiddle under his arm, came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. You haven't stored away anything from the, for the winter? What in the world have you been doing all summer? 
I didn't have time to store up any food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music, were you? Well, go ahead and dance now. They cried, and they turned their back on the grasshopper and went to work. We're all familiar with that story, right? Now, this is a great illustration, though, of the importance of working hard and planning ahead to use our time wisely for the physical things that come our way, and we know that that's always going to happen. And as important as that is, it is far more important to make the best use of our time in a wise way for a spiritual impact. And this is what the Apostle Paul is actually talking about in in verse 16. Planning ahead, making the best use of our time. You know what? We, We all have time. Every one of us has time. As long as we got breath to breathe, we have time. Some of us more than others, but nonetheless, we all have time, right? What are we going to do with it? And according to verse 15, there are two ways we can use that time. As unwise or as wise. And because we live in evil times, as the verse says, Paul urges us to use our time wisely. So what I want to do this morning is to look at both of these, unwise and wise, in light of examples that are given to us in the Bible and see how that might impact us with, making a, with helping us to use our time wisely with a gospel impact. So let's look first at the unwise. And for this, I want you to think of the biblical hero, David. You remember David? He was the kid, the shepherd boy, who his father says, hey, David, why don't you leave the sheep here and go bring some provisions to your, your, your brothers who are on the battlefield? So off David goes. When he gets there, what happens? He finds out that there's a giant Goliath ready to fight someone in single combat. And of course, everybody is shaking in their boots. They're, they're, they're scared to death and they're running away. And David says, what's the matter with you guys? God's on our side. So he challenges the giant himself. And when he goes down, Goliath says, He's insulted. He says, who am I? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and stones to buy me? And David says, hey, you know what? You come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear and an armor bearer and all the armor you got on you, but I can't come in the name of the living God who will deliver you to me today. And with that, he slew the giant David was the one who grew up to be king of Israel, wrote many of the Psalms for which we get comfort and encouragement. He is the one of whom the New Testament says he is a man after God's own heart. And yet, and yet, there was an incident in David's life where he did not make the best use of his time. In fact, he used his time unwisely, which led him down a path of sin and sorrow. 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us that in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, what did David do? Instead of taking his responsibility as as the leader of his army or the leader of his nation, he decided to send instead his general Joab. While he decided to take, stay at home and take it easy. He wanted to play his fiddle while he should have been drying his grain. The Apostle Paul says we need to be wise because the days are evil and nothing has changed. Just as we are tempted today when we let our guard down, so was David. This man who is usually so in tune with God. 
So while he rested on his laurels, he allowed himself to be tempted. First he looked where he shouldn't have looked. Then he let his eyes linger. Then he let his mind wander, which filled his heart with lust. And lust led to acting on it. And he committed as adultery with one of his friend's wives, which led to deceit, led to him trying to cover it up, which ultimately led to murder. The result of David not making the best use of his time and taking his, what God had given him to do and not acting wisely had severe repercussions on his family. Now, I'm glad that God is a gracious God and that uh, when David's heart was broken and he came face to face with his sin, face to face with his sin in Psalm 51, he's a broken man and he's repenting. I'm glad that God is a, a forgiving God, a gracious God, able to forgive. But oh, the pain and suffering he could have avoided if only he had made wise choices and used his time to glorify God instead of glorifying himself and his own desires. You know, this should be a tremendously huge warning to each and every one of us to never, never, ever, ever let our guard down. We do live in evil times. We do live in evil times. And if a godly man like David could be tempted to wander from the true path because he is not using his time wisely, how easy will it be for us too to, that when tempted, we too may fall? So David is an example of the warning Paul gives us in verses 15 and 16 against using our time, against being unwise in the way we talk or use our time. So I want to, don't want to spend all the time on the negativity. The rest of the, this is going to be, we're going to be looking at another example from the Bible and his whole life and how to use our time wisely, making wide choices. And we're going to be talking on the positive side here. So we're going to be looking at five areas from the life of Daniel. And we're going to do a whirlwind tour through the life of Daniel from a boy to to probably when he's an older man. So I'm hoping that most of you already know the story of Daniel. And if you don't, you need to go home and read it, particularly chapters 1 through 6 this afternoon. Get that in your head. But we're going to be hitting on some of these stories and see how Daniel did in using his time wisely. Number one. So for that... you. Why don't you go ahead and turn over to Daniel, because we'll really be spending the rest of our time there. Daniel chapter 1, page 576 in the Auditorium Bibles. And point number one, resolve the path you will follow in advance. Make the resolution that you're going to follow this path in advance. Now, I'm guessing that most of you know this story. But if not, let's just hang in there with me, okay? It's a fascinating read. So as a quick refresher... Chapter 1 of Daniel tells us that the Babylonian emperor, King Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered Judah. And with that, he brought uh, brought with him many captives from Jerusalem and from Judah. And he brought them all the way to a foreign land to Babylon. And among these captives were four men in particular, four young men, probably teenagers. We don't know exactly. But Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these four captives... Of all the rest of the captives were chosen from among them because they were very intelligent. They were very bright. And it says they were good looking guys. So they were chosen to serve the king. 
The king wanted to increase his, his, his brain pool, so to speak, and have wise people around him, intelligent people. So, so as such, these four young men were being trained in the service of the king. And as such, they were sent food from the king's own table, food and wine from the king's own table. But, but you know, this food and wine was forbidden for the Jews to eat. And I know many of us would think, well, it's only food, no big deal. And after all, I'm a captive. I'm a slave for all intents and purposes, so I got no choice, so I guess I'll just eat it. But not Daniel. Verse 8 says this. I told you to turn over to Daniel chapter 1. I haven't even turned there myself yet. So Daniel chapter 1, but Daniel. Here we go. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. You see, planning ahead is the best way to make sure that you're using the best of your time. In this situation, Daniel decided in advance, ahead of time, what he would do if he was put in a compromising situation. And when the situation came up, he already made his mind what he was going to do. Sorry, I just am not going to eat your food. Let's face it. When we know there are situations that every one of us will face, we're all going to be tempted. We're going to be putting in those compromising situations, right? Whether it's the places we go, the people we're around, the things we watch on TV, the things that pop up on our computer that we're tempted to click on, whatever it is, the things we listen to or the things that we're tempted to put, like Daniel and his friends, the things that we're tempted to put into our body that have no business being there. These are all things that will distract us from using, making the best use of our time and actually will, will tempt us to use bad choices, make bad things. And like David, when he took his eyes off the Lord, led him down a dark path. So while it's very important to resolve ahead of time what not to do, so resolve ahead of time that I'm not... What, okay, so if I'm put in this compromising situation... Already decide how you're going to walk away, what you're going to do. And while that is so important, it's just as important to plan ahead and resolve some positive things. And when I say positive, I mean something that will bring honor and glory to God for furthering his kingdom. Is seeking to further God's kingdom here on earth the best use of our time? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's part of the prayer Jesus gave and is an example for us to how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. When he prays for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And what is God's will here on earth? 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know it's God's will that, that people would hear about him and be saved. This is his desire for the world, my friends. And guess what? If we're walking wisely, we'll be walking in that. We get to be a part of that. And that should be so exciting. And that's using the best use of your time. So if you're going to be effective in your time and participating in the kingdom of God, do we do it as a lone ranger? Do we do it on our own? Are we better doing it as a team? The answer, of course, is as a team. 
which is why we should reside in the fellowship of other believers, which is point number two. Reside in the fellowship of other believers. You see, effective ministry works best when done in community with other believers. And Daniel understood this. When faced with possible execution later on in his life, Daniel could have said, well, well, I've got this. I'm a man of God. You know, I'll take care of this. But no, what did he do? Chapter 2, verse 17. Flip over the page. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, the same three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the Hebrew names for them. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. My friends, the scripture is full of this. Starting right back at the beginning, at creation, when God said it's not good for man to be alone. Or what about Ecclesiastes who are told that two are better than one and a cord of three strands cannot be broken? Why are there 59 one another's in the New Testament? Love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, build one another, pray for one another, etc., etc. Why would Jesus say, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them? My friends, if we're going to be effective in ministry And sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to be encouraging one another and praying for one another and building one another up and inspiring one another to faith and good deeds. Every week, every week, I have the opportunity to speak with people about Jesus. And, you know, it usually finds out that, that people are coming and, and, and they're, they're, they're just in a spiritual mess, they're, they're, they're financial mess, everything is going on. And I start talking about Jesus and I, I, and they, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, great, great. So, so where are you going to church? Where are you plugged in? Well, well I'm, I'm looking for a church at the moment. I'm like, great. great. Where, where did you look last week? Well, well, I didn't look last week, but well, okay. Well, what about the week before? Well, uh, last month, last year, last, the, the truth of the matter, they're not really looking at all. They're not in a community of believers. And without being in a community of believers, they're not encouraged and inspired to dig into the word, to get the truth. And guess what? They're spiritually dead. And we've done this before. What, what can dead people do? Nothing, nothing. There's no spiritual growth. There's nothing there. There's a reason the author of Hebrews tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's some one another's right in that verse, right? couple verses. Hear me on this. If you're not faithfully in community with other believers, and I don't mean just hanging out with them, hey, let's go for a game of tennis, but, but I mean in community with them where you're talking about the word, where you're encouraging one another, praying with one another, and more importantly, coming every week to church to get filled up. You're not going to be 
really effective in the use of your time outside of here. I really can't stress the importance of this enough. Imagine you're going on a long journey. Say, say, you're, going to, say you're going to Canada fishing or whatever, and you say, I'm going to fuel up the car, I'm going to pack it up, and I am not going to stop for anything till I get there. Guess what? You're not going to get there. Because we all know that if you, if you don't stop from time to time to fuel up, you know the rest of the story. You're going to be on the side of the road. It's the same with our spiritual walk. If we don't come every week to get fueled up and, and inspired to go on for the next week, you know what? We're going to be left at the side of the road. We're not going to grow spiritually. We have to reside in the fellowship of other believers. Daniel knew this, and that's why he gathered his friends, and he always had community with him around him to pray. So after praying with his friends... God reveals to Daniel the mystery for which he needed to be to, to see the king. And Daniel thanks God and fueled for the journey with his friends, he goes and heads off to the king. You see, the problem was that King Nebuchadnezzar had been so ticked with all his wise men, all his advisors, because he had dreamed a dream and he says, okay, I want you guys to tell me what I dreamed and I want you to tell me the interpretation of it. Of course, no one could. The king is absolutely furious. He says, what's the use of having all these wise men if they can't even tell me what I dreamed or the importance of it? Kill them all. Be done with them. But Daniel goes before the king. He says, hey, I know. In chapter 2, verse 26, the king says to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Now, here's Daniel's opportunity for a little self-glory. He knows what the dream was. He knows because God had revealed it to him, and he also knows the interpretation thereof. But he also knows that his job is not to seek self-glory, but to give all glory to God. Which brings us to point number three, render all glory to God. And then notice how Daniel answers the king in verse 27. He says to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. And Daniel goes on to tell the king his dream and the interpretation of, us, of it. Brothers and sisters, do we ever take the opportunity to really highlight God and his goodness? To point people to Jesus as the real hero in the story? The only reason any of us have even the breath to breathe or do anything we do is because of the grace of God. Because Jesus allows it, he gives us what we need to be able to do that. And as Christians, our purpose in life should be to point other people to Jesus Christ and put him and his saving grace on display. Let me give you a, 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 a quick example. Suppose your neighbor can't for some reason go out and mow their lawn. And we know 
We know how fast the lawns are growing these days, right? So between showers, you say, well, I'm going to go out and mow my neighbor's lawn. Your neighbor has been sick or in hospital or maybe away on vacation. They can't do it. So when they come home, they see their lawn is mowed, and they are so grateful, and they thank you profusely. Now, you have one, one of two options. You can smile and say, well, you're welcome, and walk away, in which case, guess what? You are the hero. But what if you told them that you're just glad to be able to do it because of what Jesus has done for you? Right away, you have done two things. Number one, you have made the Jesus, Jesus the hero. And number two, you have opened the door for a gospel present, uh, 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 conversation, whether it's right there and then, whether they're like, what are you talking about? Or let them think about it and maybe future on, later on. You've opened the door for a gospel conversation. And this is what it means to make the, boast, the most of your time by rendering to God all the glory. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that's just too scary. I couldn't do that. And that's why we have to be able to resist fear and speak the truth no matter what, which is point number four. We got to be able to resist fear and speak the truth. So by the end of chapter four, because of the faithful and true service of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, he bows before God and gives this testimony in verse 37. He gives a long testimony, but let me, let me, let me focus on this. He says, now King Nebuchadnezzar says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar? A God-like figure who served all these other gods realizes who the true God is. But by chapter 5, King Nebuchadnezzar has passed on and his, his son Belshazzar has come to the throne. And the first thing we see written about him, King Belshazzar, is that he is throwing a lavish, drunken, idolatrous party while dishonoring the God of heaven, whom his father had come to recognize as the one true God. So while the party is going on, this hand appears out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. Of course, everyone at the party is, uh, uh, they sober up real quick when they see that. And they're freaked out. And nobody knows what this, this, this writing is. And they're like, but Daniel, he will know. He'll be able. So Daniel is sent for and he comes in. So... Here's the thing. You've got to understand that the kings in those days had absolute power. And you never said anything that would ever tick off the king. Never said anything that would even hint at displeasure with him. Because if you did, off with his head, throw him into the lions, kill him, hang him, whatever it is. And Daniel knew this, but Daniel was more concerned about speaking the truth than he was about his own well-being. Put away the fear and speak the truth. So instead of telling the king a nice story that might have pleased him, he told King Belshazzar the story of his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, how he had to be humble before he realized who God really was. And he goes on to say in verse 22, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, and have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And if that wasn't enough, Daniel goes on to read the writing on the wall and interpret it and says, King Belshazzar, 
you have been found wanting. You've been weighed in the balance and you've been found lacking. You're just not measuring up. You hear me, buddy? Your kingdom has come to an end. To be replaced by that of the Medes and the Persians. Wow. Now that's bold, but true. My friends, our purpose here on earth is to speak the truth about God. And that includes the good and the uncomfortable and, 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 and the things that we are not really feel great about talking sometimes. But if it's true, we have to talk about it. You, you know, we, we love to talk about God is love and God is merciful and God is gracious and God is kind and God is forgiving. But it, and, and that's all true and we need to talk about that. But if we're not talking about the fact that God is also a just God and a righteous God and he demands punishment for those who refuse to believe in him, we're not speaking the whole truth. Last week, or two weeks ago, Pastor Chris Carr did a great job of doing, doing just that when he talked on the passage about sexual impurity. And he says, you know, this is going to make a lot of you uncomfortable. Some of you are not going to like what I have to say here today, but this is God's word, and it's important that you know it so you don't fall into the trap of being lulled away into, into punishment. You need to repent. You need to turn to God, and that's the truth, and we need to tell it even if it's not comfortable. Dear friends, we need to speak the truth. We need to speak it in love, even if the truth hurts. But if we don't speak it at all, there's no love in it because we are not warning people of the judgment that will come unless they repent and turn to God. So that very night that Daniel said this to King Belshazzar, that very night Belshazzar is killed just as Daniel predicted. Let me ask you, do we risk, like Daniel was taking a risk, do we risk being ridiculed, ostracized, perhaps even persecuted, could we be killed for speaking the truth? Absolutely. But speaking the truth and proclaiming the message of saving faith through Jesus Christ is making the best use of our time. We must resist the fear and speak the truth. And last but not least, if you want to make sure your life is not wasted and you are making the best use of your time, make sure you are diligent too. Number five, reserve a time for prayer. Prayer, my friends, is the power source. We can't do this on our own. He's the one that gives us the power, the strength to do anything we do, and we gotta remember that, and we get that through prayer. Now, I know we've done a whirlwind tour through the life of Daniel this morning, I hope you'll go home and read these stories again, just to remind yourselves again. And I never really told you one story complete, but read them to your children, to your grandchildren. Think about them. These are stories that really will inspire and motivate us. But the one I'm going to touch on now is probably the most famous story of all about Daniel, and that is Daniel in the lion's den. And we're not even going to get to the lion's den part. But have you ever been so busy in life, perhaps your work, you're running after the kids, rehabbing your house, doing, going to sports events, maybe it's work. Whatever you're doing, you say, well, I, I, one of these days I'm going to have time to pray. One of these days I'm going to get my, I, I know I should be, I, you know I should be in church and I'll get around to that. But right now I'm just too busy. 
let me, let me tell you, Daniel was a very important and very, very busy man. And even though he had been brought to Babylon as a captive, his work ethic, his integrity, his trustworthiness, and his dedication to serve had brought him through the ranks to the highest position in government with the current king, King Darius, the third king he's now serving under, is now putting Daniel over all the governors in all the provinces of his empire. You think Daniel was busy? (laughs) We have no idea what running an empire is like. Daniel was extremely busy. But he knew that anything he did would not be effective. It was not blessed by God. His time would be useless if God did not bless it. And because of that, Daniel set aside three times a day to pray every day, and he made that a practice. Of course, the other high officials in government were jealous that Daniel, this captive of all people, should receive the honor position from the king of being over all them so they contrive a scheme to get rid of him. And they basically pull a con job on the king and they go to the king and say, hey, you know what, oh king, we, we think you are so honored and you're so awesome. So we think it would be good if you signed this law that, that uh, for 30 days, no one asks anything of anyone or God except from you, oh king. The king's like, okay, whatever. Let me write it, sign it. The king signs it. But they knew. You see, they did a con job because they knew that this was the only area they could, they, they could trip up Daniel because they knew that every day he would go and he would pray. It was part of his routine. The penalty for disobeying with this was to be thrown into the den of lions, to be devoured, death. Now, you'll remember from last week that Pastor Chris said, we're going into a section, which we'll be going into next week, about submission, submitting to authority, and doing what we're told. And he says, the one area where we can deviate from that, and in fact, we should deviate from that, is if we're told to do something that is contrary to the will of God. And so you'll see Daniel, when he knows this law is put into practice, what does he do? What did Daniel do when the law is passed? Chapter 6, verse 10. So when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, yet this new law, but don't ask for anything apart from the king for their days, when Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he, has, where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done previously as he had done previously. You see, this was not a special thing for Daniel. Well, he only went crying to God when he was in trouble. You, you know, many of us are like that. We only pray when we're in trouble. God, help me. No, this, this was a practice of him, his. In a time where he knows he is facing the death penalty for praying, notice how he prays. Does he say, oh, God, help me, I'm facing the death penalty? No, no, he gives thanks. He's giving thanks, which is another whole sermon we can preach on from the passage of Ephesians, chapter 5 that we read earlier, right? Where it says this in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, wow. 
What if we had that attitude of prayer always when we went to God, even in the tough times? You know what? If we're not reserving a time for God, how can we expect him to use, help us use our time wisely? Bottom line is this. Without seeking God's help and wisdom, we are relying on ourselves rather than him, and we will be easily distracted, and our time will not be used wisely for God's glory. So after looking at these examples in the life of John, let's bring this home and say, how can I put this into practice? Not wasting our lives, making the best use of our time. First and foremost, if you're here today and you think you can find meaning in life without Jesus, I tell you what, you won't. You'll be chasing after your tail. You will find the things you think bring you pleasure, but in the end, they're going to let you down. The author of Ecclesiastes talks about it like this when he says in chapter 6, he says, life without God is like chasing the wind. Jesus talks about it when he tells us not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see, in the end, it's going to amount to nothing here on earth. But we need to be thinking about future for eternity. God has given us time. A lifetime here on earth is our opportunity to invest that time for eternal purposes. My question you hear today is this. Are you making the most of your life? Are you spending your time wisely? The days are evil, and it's easy to get distracted. It's so important that we keep focused on the finish line, the task that Jesus has in mind for us to do, for you to do. And, and, and that's not always just good things. Good things are not always the best things and good things end up being pointless if in the long run they don't point people to Jesus Christ this week I tried to clear my schedule of some of the routine things I do so that I could prepare for this sermon and as it turned out the blocks of time that I had set aside just got eaten up and later on the week I I I ran into Pastor Clay Baker and uh, I, he says, how's everything going? I, well, I vented my frustration a little bit saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm just not able to do, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And I can't stick to my planned task. And he asked me, he says, he says why is that? I says, because people keep coming to see me and they keep asking to talk to me. And uh, so I get caught up in these conversations. And he says, well, what did you talk to them about? I says, well, it, It was kind of invigorating because I got to share the gospel with these people and I was able to sit down and spend extended extended amount of time just sharing about who Jesus is and his love for them and how his sacrifice for them. And and, and Clay says to me, he says, "So, so what was the best use of your time? You see, Clay helped me refocus my priorities and realize that if God... If it was God's will that he would send people to me that I should share the gospel with, that that he would help me figure out the rest. And that's exactly what happened. He did. 
good things. As well as important was it to prepare a sermon, it was more important that if I had the opportunity to share with someone that I share with someone, that's the most important thing we can do is point people to Jesus Christ. So how can, we make fo- how can we stay focused on making the best use of our time? We looked at the example of Daniel in a chronological order, but let me quickly lay them out for you again, really quick, in, order, in an order that might help you as you get up in the morning and walk through your day. Number one, make sure you are not in this alone, but are a regular part of the body of believers. You need to be here every week. If you're not even involved in a small group in between the week, be it getting filled up, for the week ahead. Start your day with prayer. Number two, start your day with prayer. Make it a part of your routine and ask God to give you the opportunity to share about him and to carry it out. Number three, resolve up front before you even get into a situation. Resolve up front how you're going to walk away from certain situations and resolve up front that you will look for opportunities to actually share. When, you know what? When you're looking for something, you'll actually find it. Any of you guys go mushroom hunting? When, when you're looking for them, you're much more likely to find them, right? Maybe. <laughs> Number four, look for those opportunities every day to point people by giving God the credit and the glory for everything. Look for opportunities to give him the glory Ephesians 5.20 again. We read this twice already, but I'm going to do it again one more time. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, our our attitude in prayer and our attitude to God, I'll tell you what, if you go to God in prayer and thank him, even in the difficult circumstances in life, always and for everything, not sometimes and when things are good, always and for everything. When we have this attitude in mind, we're going to start seeing God working behind the scenes in the things that, that the tough things are drawing people to Jesus and we give glory and grace in that. Thanksgiving. And I tell you, when, when we start to get that mind frame, it, it begins to give us joy, even in the hard situations. And people, when they see that we're, 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 we're actually joyful in these situations, it's going to blow their socks off. And they're, they're going to be asking, how can you be thankful in situations like this? But that gives us the opportunity to share the goodness of God with them. Number five, when this happens, when they come to us, when they're saying, why can you give glory? Why, can you, why are you so happy in these situations? It gives us the opportunity. And then when we can resist fear, Resist the fear that Satan is using to stop us from sharing, and we can speak the truth in love. We can speak it boldly, and we need to speak it in love. That's really, really important. We need to speak it in love. We need to put ourselves in the situation when we're telling somebody that they need Jesus because they're saying, just like me, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. And he's forgiven my sins because I've given it over to him. You can do that too. Share it in love, but we need to share it. We got to remember that when we go to someone, if you're not used to doing this, you're going to be shaking in your boots, maybe. But you got to remember, what's the power inside of you? Don't rely on yourself. He who is in us is greater than he is in the world. Don't forget that. And when you go out on a limb, when you do that, when you share, you know, it might be scary the first time or two, but the more you do it, the easier it's going to become and the more it's going to be part of who you are and it's going to get exciting. One last thing. 
a challenge of sorts. I want you to think about the person you came with. Maybe it's a friend or, or, or your spouse. Maybe it's someone that's not over here. Maybe it's a friend or something. But I want you to you make this challenge. I want you to ask them. Ask me a week from now, maybe on our way to church, maybe Saturday, how have you used the best use of your time this week? And if you're thinking about that, if you're, if you're planning ahead, if you're preparing, looking for those opportunities, I'll tell you what, you know, you know Joe or Sally is going to be asking you, hey, Nathan, how did you use the best use of your time? And like, oh, my goodness. Okay, let me tell you, I had the opportunity to share with somebody. I had the opportunity to pray and ask God. So, so let's put this into practice. Let's think about I'll tell you what, making the best use of your time just doesn't happen. It's something we've got to think about, plan for, and put it into practice. So let's put it into practice. Challenge someone to ask you how you put it into practice. I want to close with the same quote that Pastor Chris used last week about when he was talking about these verses, but it's so pertinent. It's something we could actually use uh, uh, as a, a thing every week, as far as I'm concerned. But it's the, the quote from C.T. Studd, C.T. Studd, when it says this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray.